we must be advocates for the right solution for the right context you know what's the problem we're trying to solve what's the problem we're try trying to solve in what context welcome to this bonus episode of the learning from the edges podcast this is episode two which was a conversation that was captured to help create an article for the Belgium Learning and Development Training newspaper. This week, we get the chance to listen in to Michelle as she's asked the questions for a change. So if you'd like to read the article in full, or you'd like to communicate and find how you can further the conversation with Michelle, be sure to check out the show notes. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy this change to the format and be rest assured. After these two bonus episodes, we'll be going back to our normal two-week schedule. But until then, let's dive into this bonus episode. Now, now, this brings me also to one of the other questions uh, that I wanted to discuss with you is because many companies are, are still looking for how can we get our goals, how do we attain the, the learning goals and in what way. So some companies have a really developed learning and development uh, organization. Other companies have a branch within, within HR that does learning and development tasks. Other companies have it all mixed and matched. Uh, and other companies simply have nothing, nothing yet. What would you say would be the 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 best approach to this? Would it be a learning and development department, so really dedicated, like a center of excellence approach, or would it rather be that that is a mistake that it it would rather be ingrained in the existing functions? So, so the question is, where should L and D sit? I'm going to go back to my word that I started the whole thing with is contextual. There's no one answer to that question. There's the answer of what is your organization's purpose? What is your organization's strategy? Where are the gaps? So I, I like to use a model that Nigel Harrison has has um, created, um, performance consulting model. And what Nigel talks about in that model is really to be clear on where are you now? Where do you want to be and what's the gap? And when we plug in the gap, then we understand the setting. We understand the solutions. Um, he talks about it as the cost of the gap, not just a financial cost, but the emotional cost or the cultural cost, um, you know, the customer cost, all of the all of the potential uh, opportunity costs there. Um, and that really helps you with the answer. So if you're an organisation that has no L&D department at all, where are we now? What do we do about learning and development? Do we do anything? Do we need to do development? Why do we need to do development? You know, what does it look like in the future if we had L&D? You know, what do we think would be different? And then you can see quite clearly, well, what does that mean? So let's let's just make up a work example. You know, we have no L&D at all. We do, don't invest in our people. We've never invested in our people. Um, actually, we feel like if we did invest in our people, our competitors, we would have competitive advantage because if you don't invest in people, you're actually moving backwards because everyone else who does is moving forwards. Um, and so we want to be on the front foot. We want people to feel valued. We want people to stay. We want to lose the cost of attrition. We want to lose the, the cost of, of onboarding. We want to create a more stable culture. Well, there we're forming a gap here. And the gap is a financial cost of attrition. The gap is cultural impact of continually turning over staff. The people don't feel valued, so they don't feel loyal. So customers don't get you know good service, blah, 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 blah. 
that scenario that I literally just made up in my head, I feel like there's there's a call for an L&D head, somebody who takes responsibility, somebody who people can recognise as here for them in service of them and their learning. Um, where that would sit largely would depend on how, you know, what level of importance that organisation would would place upon learning and development. It sounds like if you've got a nutrition problem, um, that it would sit closely with recruitment, HR type service. So that's kind of how I would work that through. Right. See what I mean? You've got to understand your context. You've got to understand, you know, what is it that we're here to do? Why are we? Why do we exist in the first place? Uh, and what does a learning strategy look like off the back of that? Yeah, and again, uh, connecting it to the strategy, uh, connecting the dots between, because uh, otherwise, if you're not speaking your company's language, they're not going to give you any resources, they're not going to give you any time. And if you can't answer the question, why are you doing this? Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, if, if your answer to the question is because we've always done it, you really <laughs> have to good, hard look at yourself. And and to be fair to the retailer that I talked about earlier, you know, they've always they always have done LearnFest every year. They've done LearnFest and, uh, you know, not LearnFest, sorry, LeadFest. And it, it was only when, well, do we really need to do it? Why do we do it? What benefit do we get from it? And and I think therein lies some of the problem in learning and development. We don't really question or prove our own value. We don't evaluate what we do well enough to be able to demonstrate to anybody, this is the, this is the importance of us in the organization. If you take us away, these are the consequences of taking us away. Now, the risk there, of course, especially as the world faces somewhat of an economic downturn, is that the you know, training or, or, or the learning department is easy to just slash and burn. And, you know, I have personally been on the receiving end in economic downturn of 2007. Um, and, and, you know, later after 9-11, I've lost budget or I've even been made redundant because I haven't been able to demonstrate value. And, you know, nothing like a hard lesson learned. I am all about being an evidence based practitioner, values led and, you know, big V value as in my values, but also the value of the work I do. Um, all my client engagements start with what are our success criteria? How will we know that we've arrived? And we can only do that. We can only have that conversation when we've understood what evidence we need to gather in, you know, in order to identify what the success is. So if all learning practitioners were to think like external consultants in that way, we would be better placed to be able to say, this is what me or, you know, my department bring to the organization. And if you if we don't exist, then this is the loss to the organization. Um, but, but for many of us, unfortunately, our, our key performance indicators are things like how many training hours have you put on this year? How many courses have you run? How many people have accessed our e-learning? All of those metrics are irrelevant. In fact, they're not metrics, they're single measures. And until we correlate those against, you know, the attrition issue or the manufacturing output or whatever we're trying to make as an organisation, um, you know, whatever our strategic focuses are as an organization, then we're never going to demonstrate our value. So our culture will never be a learning culture. 
because it's easy to count, you know, people sitting in a chair, people clicking next on e-learning. It's slightly more complex. <laughs> or worse, the, the rating of training, while we all know that everyone uh, rates it high, even though if they don't like it, right? Yeah, well, yeah, especially if you're, you know, you're standing there, here is the form, you can't <laughs> leave the room until you fill this in. Yeah, you were great, thanks, here it is, you know you you kind of have that whites of their eyes approach where you're literally looking at them as a trainer saying you know how did you find the training today there's nothing more intimidating so how would you because because this i think that here is also really when i heard about that we got the opportunity to speak about learning culture also that yeah i think that right now we are in a moment in the world where building a learning culture has never been more important because the world is changing so fast we are experiencing changes we've never met before politically economically um technology it's moving so fast we need to be prepared on the other hand those changes are causing an enormous pressure another economic disaster meaning that many companies are now looking for savings and learning and development is the first department usually that gets hit so if we say that the importance then is to really underline why are we there, what is the value, what would you say to many other L&D practitioners of how can we prove that we, that hitting us will damage the company more on the long term? So for me, it's about building a business case. So like any other department in your organisation, if you can't demonstrate a business case for spend, then why would anyone else care? I mean, bearing in mind the facts of these, as I said earlier, nobody cares about learning. Everyone cares about, you know, I work in finance, I care about finance, I work in sales, I care about sales. So you need to, all the things we've been saying, use the language of the business, feed into their strategy and what they're trying to achieve. And you need to plug in and be very clear. If you do not, for example, if you do not invest in your sales team in an ever-changing world, how will they stay up to date? How will they have the competitive advantage over and above the sales team in your competitor organization? Um, and, and this is not a conversation about learning or learning needs or development techniques. This is very clearly a conversation about what problems have you got? This is how I can help you solve them. So in my book, one of the things that I always, always, uh, you know, I, I talk about it in the books on page 166 is probably the most quoted piece of of the book um but i'll quote it for another time and the reason that it is is because this is exactly the purpose of learning and development we must be advocates for the right solution for the right problem for the right people at the right time for the right reasons delivered in the right way and unless we can demonstrate that to our sales team who care about sales to our manufacturing team who care about how many widgets they get out of the door. Unless we can play with their problems, we are never ever gonna show our value. And we're never ever going to stop being made redundant when, when times are hard. You know, people do not care about compliance learning. People care about health and safety. So the language we talk about needs to change. If we say we are 100% compliant, everyone has done our health and safety training, nobody cares, literally nobody cares. But if you can say we prevented accidents in our organization, our accident ratio last year 
was one in a hundred people. This year it is, you know, zero in a hundred people. That's value. We made that happen. And that's what we need to be talking about. And when we're talking about that, then we're creating a culture of us demonstrating our value in an organization. I think there's another layer to it as well. And the other layer is fear. So the fear of being made redundant it is across all organizations. You know, the fear of not being able to pay the wage bill, the fear of not being able to make the sales, the fear of there being a recession post COVID. And when we are operating in a culture of fear, we're paralyzed. So how can we help create fear free organizations? And when we're in a fear free organization, we truly are in a learning organization. So let me make that correlation for you. We, we talked earlier about the difficulty of helping people to share their knowledge because of kudos. They hold the knowledge and that knowledge holding comes from fear. If I am afraid to share because maybe I don't get the promotion, maybe the person I share my knowledge with gets the promotion instead of me. So we take away this fear where the kudos comes from sharing knowledge. We give this person, you know, great kudos for sharing. They become more of a knowledge sharer rather than knowledge consumer or holder, what then happens is knowledge sharing becomes more normalized. That becomes part of our everyday culture. The fear starts to subside. That's one area of fear. Take away another area of fear, for example, I've made a mistake. I'm gonna hold that mistake to myself. No one's gonna learn from it. And we're gonna repeat that mistake in another few months because nobody knows that I've made that mistake. Actually, you've made a mistake. Great, what a fantastic learning opportunity. Take the fear away from sharing mistakes. You then get the opportunity to create, you know, we made this mistake, here's what we learned from it. This customer wasn't happy, here's how we've made them happy. So in future, we won't make that mistake again. We take the fear away. We create an environment where learning from mistakes is normalized. So we've got sharing knowledge is normalized. We've got learning from mistakes is normalized. And you can do this. You can you can batter down all of these fears. You're creating a learning culture from that. And you're actually, again, adding value. It becomes normalized. People wouldn't think, let's get rid of the learning department because learning is what we do around here. Why would we not want to learn? Why would we not want to develop our people and progress? Because when you're not progressing, you're going backwards, especially at economically hard times. Because your competitors, if they're investing in their people, you know, people who are invested in, they feel creative, they feel valued, they feel loyal. These are all the things you need in an economic downturn. So I can say we need to build a business case for those types of activities. Yeah, and I, th I think what you said that I would hear a lot is as especially regarding creating a culture of no fear leadership here is also important and and because they are like when we learning and development sometimes we are far from removed whereas a manager is with the people all the time now managers is typically an audience where we typically focus on in learning and development it's one of the first things right where does learning and development happen in even the smallest companies at the top when does it happen in the next step ah the, the the second level managers, third level managers, and so on. But what would you say are we missing the ball with leadership? So if we look at how we have addressed, and especially when we think about learning culture, 
what should be our messages message to leaders or what should be the skills that we really need to develop for our leaders in that okay i guess this is where from my perspective learning and development and organization development crossover or at least work closely to each other because l d are responsible for a lot of spend a huge billions a year globally is spent on leadership development yet leaders in organizations are not always very good <laughs> and i think that that's not necessarily anybody's fault given the spend and the quality of the learning that takes place for leadership development i think it's where organization development are more holistic in the approach and organization development practitioners are looking at the big whole not just that leader and the learning that that leader has so if we were to take an approach which says strategically imperative go where the organization is going what are the the activities that need to take place what are the capabilities of the people doing those activities and then we consider the people what that does for us is make us realize that it doesn't matter what we spend on leadership training doesn't matter what we spend on that group of people what matters is the activities that they're doing and that they create a learning environment for everyone else what is typical is and especially in a hierarchical structure we promote people who are technically capable so if you're the best salesperson you become the manager of the salespeople. it's an entirely different skill set managing people is a is a skill set or in and of itself and being a technically brilliant salesperson is a skill set in and of itself and yet for years and years and years for decades for decades we've made the mistake of promoting people who do the technical job brilliant brilliantly into an entirely different job and then expecting them to get on with it <laughs> it's it's the history part again right like especially i mean the most things that i see like this is happening in production when people nowadays even young people start in production their expectation is if i am a good operator for 10 years i will become a manager mm. it's st it's still because the history because their father maybe or yeah. someone they know it's the history right here yeah it is and we need to break it and this is where od really comes into play od is you know they're the practitioners that will break this 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 is not solely you know on learning and development shoulders or even on hr shoulders uh, you know or even on your senior team shoulders but organization development is the way to go this is how do we develop the whole and so you know you you, you need you need a track you need a pathway to promotion to to, to more money to, to more status, whatever people are intrinsically motivated for, which doesn't involve managing people. Because people management is a skill in and of itself. You know, to, to, to look at job descriptions of, of that promoted manager and to still see on that job description, technical work, is it, it upsets me intensely. That, that job description should have, you know, 60% of your time, 80% of your time should be dedicated to developing those people that you work with, that work for you if you want to take a hierarchical approach. And, and that's not how it works. That's not what happens. What happens is they just move up a track. They still have to do all the technical stuff. And, you know, 
maybe for half an hour on a Friday, they can actually have a developmental conversation with all of the members of their team. Or, or it could be the fear, right, that they that they choose themselves to do 80, 90 percent because they fear if they are not doing what they are great at, if they feel that they are not really there yet, uh, for the, for managing people, that they will lose their job again. Yeah, 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 you're exactly right. And we are very much in in fear driven, triangular, kudos in the wrong place organizations and that's that's od work that's not lnd but that's not to say in lnd we can't influence that we can't you know we can't make pockets of good practice and this is this is back to make better cake you know we can do really good work with an engaged manager who recognizes okay my job description is 80 percent technical but if i delegate that technical work and I and I spend my time developing them suddenly. I mean, this is what David Marquet talks about. He he worked with a team of 134 people. And, you know, he's like, well, I could use my one brain or I could use their 134 brains. I mean, it's 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 a no brainer, isn't it? When you look at it like that, why wouldn't you? I mean, you said earlier, 2500 people in your organization, they've all been recruited because they're good at their jobs or they've got the capacity to be good at their jobs. Or, you know, you don't recruit the wrong people. <laughs> well, maybe you do, but your recruitment team <laughs> needs a bit of a sack. But, you know, you've got you've got brilliant people in your organization. Uh, why would L&D have the arrogance to assume they know nothing? you know, that that everyone needs development without getting to know them and without creating opportunity for everyone. Because if you rise, if they rise, the whole organization rises. Yeah, I think what you say there is, is interesting because you also have some, sometimes you feel the expectation that um, people are looking at L&D and they're like, oh, but you are then responsible of really developing this person from scratch. Whereas you're you're right, we are we are hiring people because because of certain skill sets, and we are not professional salespeople. We're not professional technicians. We're not. God forbid you put me on a machine. That machine <laughs> is not going to work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, it's about using their skill sets, putting their them in the spotlight, and that is again what we discussed earlier. That builds the learning culture, right? It does. It does. And and so our role then becomes the facilitator. It goes back to the oil and glue. You know, we are helping your technical experts to showcase what they know, to develop their people, to share their knowledge in a way which other people, I mean, they might be brilliant. I always remember this university lecture I had. He was so renowned in the field. He'd written a million books and, and everyone thought he was fantastic outside of the student body. He was the worst lecturer. I mean, they're just the worst. Everyone hated his lectures. It was a total snooze fest because he knew his staff, but he couldn't teach. You know, fantastic researcher, brilliant professor. He just couldn't teach. And so in that setting, somebody in that, you know, in that university needed to take into one side and go, look, this is the way that you reach the minds, the hearts of the student body, you know, 18 to 21 year olds, who just, you, you can't talk at them. They need more engagement than that. And so for me, this is the same in learning and development, that we need to take our technical experts and we need to help them showcase their knowledge. We need to help gather kudos around that. We need to help them understand how best to share that knowledge. You know, it may well be capturing them on a video or 
whatever. But do I understand correctly that you're also saying that it's not just about pro, uh, giving them a pedestal, promoting it. It's also about sometimes being brutally honest with our feedback, as long as it's, of course, constructive. But we need to be honest and because they might not receive that feedback from anyone else. So no sometimes else. we have to be the one. Yeah, because if, if, if we're putting them in a teaching role, if we're putting them in a, in a people development role, which I believe all managers should have, I want to see the day where it is a normal KPI on every single manager in the whole world over for developing your people. It, why would that not be normal? That is the job. You know, you are there to delegate to others. By definition, delegation is a developmental opportunity. I'm getting on my high horse now, I'm ranting. But, you know, our no, job... No, I, I think we've all been there when a man, you, 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 you tell this to a manager and the manager goes like, oh, isn't that HR? Isn't that, isn't that you? Shouldn't you be developing? It's not my responsibility, right? <laughs> you know, but, you know, my question then is always back. Do you want to delegate to your team? If you want to delegate to your team, what does delegation mean to you? Does it mean dumping the, the rubbish jobs that you don't want to do? Or does it mean using delegation to develop your people? And of course, true delegation is the latter, not the former. But the reality is many, many managers just go, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. You do that. that that's not how people will rise. And that's not how you will get better as an organization. But our role there in L&D, there is a role for us. And our role is to help that technical expert to know how to best showcase their work. Now, give you an example of this. A CEO I once worked with, you know, wanted to um, to kind of have a, a, a weekly conversation with the with the team, sort of a, a developmental type approach. You know, this is what we're working on. Um, this is where we see the gaps. This is how I can help you. And because we had a video based learning platform, he wanted to do videos. He'd never done this before. He spoke at our conferences. He, he wasn't overly comfortable, comfortable about it. But the first time he went, it was like looking at sort of the news reader. He had papers in front of him and he was like rigid reading from his papers like this, you know. And um, I'm like, I can't put this out. He's going to look like a fool. But how do I tell the CEO that, you know, he's terrible at, at speaking to his people? So I had to think really quickly. And what I did was I, I, I left the camera rolling. I told him I turned it off, but I left the camera rolling and I just chatted to him. So we've done the whole, he'd done what he'd prepared. And I was like, oh, yeah, thanks very much for that. And I was like, oh, you know, just talk me through that again. And what, what, what do you think that means? And he we were just having a conversation. He was looking at me, not at the camera. And that was the video I put out because that was him. That was his natural state, you know. And the first time I did that, I then said to him, I said, oh, there was a problem with the video. Do you mind if I put this out? <laughs> yeah. It was all a little bit smoke and mirrors, but he understood. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, he's not, not a fool. It's like, I, I see what he did there. Okay, now I get it. You know, and when I showed him his cut from the, you know, the newsreader, to the more natural approach and we had to do so i was i was coaching him really in how to have a better approach so that the next time we did a video he didn't have his papers we just chatted and we put that out and so you know you, it doesn't have to be brutal feedback it just has to be an understanding a gentle kindness um you know i'm here to help you that that's the conversation you're having you know you know i could have said to him my goodness that was a terrible like you you're rubbish at this 
that that wouldn't have got me uh, uh, well probably got me fired <laughs> oh so you were in a hierarchical structure then <laughs> very much very yeah. much so as we are approaching the the, the 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 end um what i also really like misha is that you have a lot of experience in this uh it's not just about one uh company you, you've done and you've helped uh, many are there any other uh pitfalls or learnings that you definitely want to to, to share well because i think everyone understands the purpose and the need for learning culture it's something that is on everyone's agenda and yet so few companies actually succeed in this and we've talked about some of the key ingredients in this but is there anything else that you'd like to share yeah. any experiences any I think as as you were just asking me this question a few thoughts popped into my mind so the first thought was around don't dismiss your history don't don't dismiss those people in Finland who've worked there for 20 years don't think they've got nothing to offer don't think they're old fashioned be respectful of that history and the, the sort of other side of that coin is in order to move forward don't always forget that the change piece the change process so it's a sort of you know I always say and I say this in my book learning is not a two-sided coin it's not one thing or the other it's not digital or face-to-face -face. it's not history or change it is a multifaceted dice and you really need to understand your context to know what all those facets are um but as you were talking the two thoughts I had yeah respect your history but, but this is a change process and and you know there are there, there's a lot of well-documented ways forward processes around change you know the Sarah principles of the shock and the anger the rejection the acceptance and, and the hope when we when we're looking at building any type of new culture you really do need to kind of you know look at that those two sides where have we come from do we really know why we're moving and then how can we help people to move with us don't change to people change with people and so the story that comes to mind um is as a volunteer i was working with girl guiding so girl scouts in many other parts of the world which is the largest youth movement in the UK for girls and young women um, and my responsibility was to the 100,000 volunteers um, and their learning and development and those 100,000 volunteers for 100 years had been served by volunteer trainers of which around 600 and when you look at the maths on that you know 100,000 volunteers 638 trainers that is a lot of emphasis on the shoulders of those those um, volunteer trainers. Um, but of course, with that comes a lot of influence, a lot of power, a lot of uh, intrinsic motivation for them, a lot of kudos, a lot of status, all of the things we've been talking about. And I I was not there to take that away from them. These people, these people are so motivated to do a good job. They do it for free. So just let's think about that for a moment. We're not talking about people who are paid to be in work. We're talking about people who want to do a good job for free. So how disrespectful of me would it have been to lead the team to say, that's old news, that's yesterday's way of being. We need to do digital, we need to do social, we need to reach 100,000 people. 
absolutely would have been chaos. It would have been totally the wrong approach. And so this is this is why I know that you have to respect your history. I want those 638 trainers. In fact, I want more than 638 trainers. I want new people to volunteer to be trainers because that's not going away. We're always going to need face to face. But in order to reach everybody, we also need to stretch into social and digital learning. So we need a better blend. And so the strategy we we created, the learning culture we were aspiring towards was it's not a once and done approach. You don't just meet your trainer when you start volunteering and then never, never do any training again. Training becomes something, you know, learning becomes something that's very normalized as part of your volunteer journey and can benefit you in your paid work. It's not just something for your volunteer life. Um, and so the change was, I, I need these trainers. I need to approach them. I need to understand what motivates them. I need to understand what they're struggling with, what would be helpful for them. And so we embrace them. We 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 ran a conference with them. We we listened to them really carefully. We talked to them about new ways of being, um, new ways of, of, of thinking and learning and development. We exposed them to a whole new load of ideas and we consulted with them a lot. Um, so know your history, but change with people. The final thing I'll just say really is that all of this, and especially as our organisations get bigger and more complex external factors like economic downturn or COVID or pandemic or whatever comes into play, we, we, we vaguely need the flotilla of boats to be facing in the same direction. We, we need to be the almost like the conductor of an orchestra. You know, we need the music to be playing at the same time, all of the instruments. And so this isn't just on us in learning. We need to work closely with internal comms, with organisation development, with our HR colleagues. You know, we really do need to, to build good networks internally and externally. What are, what are organisations like yours doing? You know, do you network outside of your organisation? What's learning culture look like in your competitors? And even don't think of them as competitors. Think of them as your network. Um, and all of those things will help you to build the learning culture that's right for your organisation. So there you have it, a summary of my thoughts on learning culture and a lot more. The conversation with Robert really did meander all over the place and I really did enjoy it. It reminds me of what it is like when two L&D professionals get in a room. And it's similar when you think about it to any two professionals when they get in a room. So perhaps I'd like to invite you to have an L&D talk with a colleague, with a fellow professional and see where your meandering takes you. Thanks again for listening to Learning from the Edges and we'll see you for our regular broadcasts in the future. Take care.